everybody, this is Sandra. Welcome to show 21 of Toon Talks podcast. My guest today is Disney animator Dale Bear, well known and highly respected in the animation world. His work shows such amazing control and insight into performance and his love for the craft shines through every one of his shots. I've wanted to talk to Dale for many years and I've had a few opportunities, but every time I chickened out because I, I guess I just felt so much respect and admiration for his work that I was worried words wouldn't come out of my mouth when I met him. But luckily for us, he's an incredibly approachable person who loves to talk about animation almost as much as he loves doing it, which made my job easier than ever. It was such a wonderful chat with Dale, but before we get into that, I just want to say a huge thank you to everybody for the support of the podcast, all of the likes and shares, and especially the comments. It really helps get the show noticed and hopefully will lead to more people becoming excited and with any luck learning something new about the art form we love. So without further ado... Please enjoy my conversation about animation with Dale Bear. Whatever we're saying, we can say on the podcast. Anyway. Okay. <laughs> well, thanks so much for actually meeting up with me because I know you're super busy. Not really. Well, the last email you sent me, you've got like meetings two or three well, a day. Well, yeah, they're meetings, but they're nothing. Yeah. It's not like I'm trying to get a bunch of work done in between because <laughs> there isn't anything to do right now. No? You're on no. some downtime? Yeah, pretty much. It's been downtime for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And are you doing some tests or something? Or? No. No? No. We meetings. were. We were. Yeah. Not even meetings in, in the animation end of things. It's, yeah. it's just meetings I have on the outside with people like you. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. Well, it's a pleasure. Okay. So I wanted to ask you to start off, because I know you did a podcast with Clay Cadis and uh-huh. you covered a lot of the history, but I was wondering, who was the first person to inspire you towards your creative path? And it doesn't necessarily have to be an animator. Oh, gosh. I, you know, for some odd reason, and I, I keep trying to delve back into my, my, <laughs> my brain, um, what got me interested in animation? Because when I was growing up, there wasn't the kind of material out there that people have today. There were no DVDs or videos, nothing, you know. You were lucky if there was uh, some cartoon shows on TV before you went to school or when you got okay. home, you know. And um, But my folks, since it was me and my sister, my folks would take us to drive-in movies. It was a lot easier yeah. to handle kids in a drive-in yeah. in the backseat of the car than in a theater, you know. So it was always the double features with the newsreel and the cartoon in between. So I'd make it through the first feature and watch the cartoon then go to sleep you know in the back seat and, but for some reason they just fascinated me I didn't even draw that much when I was growing up as I recall and but for some reason watching cartoons just intrigued me yeah. and then of course Disneyland had just opened up around 1955 and I was five years old at that time so I think we went pretty much the first year that it opened and so I just got captivated with Disney and and the, the shorts that we'd see in the theater. And uh, then Disney had his TV show on Sunday nights, I believe it was. And every now and then he'd have a whole hour of, of animation. Mm. And I was just like glued to the set. <laughs> and so, but for something like from the time I was about eight years old, I wanted to be here mm. at Disney. And... Yeah. and uh, <clears throat> When I got a little bit older, I'm thinking that was sort of out of my my reach because I thought it was just, you know, you had to be really, really good to get here, you know. So, um, but my folks, nobody in my family kind of encouraged me to do this. They were kind of 
they thought I was being foolish about it. And, and of course, they were from an era of practicality. You know, yeah. you got a job to have a job. Yeah. Not something you love, but you just get a job. Yeah. To put a roof over your head and food on the table. And uh, But my dad thought, well, since you like to draw so much, why don't you go into drafting in high school, mm. industrial drawing? And I'm thinking, well, okay, I'll try it. I mean, I was there. Where else was I going to go, you know? So... <laughs> So I took drafting, but then I thought, then I found out that in order to, to, when you take that course, you have to take all these math courses. Oh, yeah. And I can't do math. I'm, I'm very bad at it. My mother was really good at it, but me, no. In fact, my mother used to, I had a math teacher in the seventh grade and eighth grade who was the most wonderful guy I ever met. And he knew I, I, I was bad at math, but he knew I'd like to draw. So he had me draw murals in the classroom nice. and he passed me with a D you know well that didn't sit too well with my mother she thought this no you got to be doing math you know yeah. so she would come in and be in, literally in tears talking to this oh. guy trying to figure out what's wrong with me you know and he kept trying to explain to her that it's just not my forte you yeah. know so <clears throat> when I got uh, um, when I was 16 my dad passed away and, but he left me some VA money, mm. veterans money, and so my mother tucked that in the bank. And then my my dad's mom died about a year or so later, maybe two years later, and she left me a small inheritance, so I put that in the bank. And when I graduated from high school, it was time for me to make a decision what I was going to do. And I knew it wasn't going to be drafting. <laughs> you know. As intriguing as I thought it might be to go into the aerospace industry or yeah. something like that, yeah. I don't think a rocket would have ever made it up into space <laughs> with me designing it. So, so I thought, you know, I wrote, I wrote to Disney to find out where one goes to learn animation, mm. and they gave me Art Center for one, and then Chenard for the other. Yeah. And so I contacted Art Center. They don't, they didn't do it anymore. So I contacted Chenard, and so I, I found out they'd do it. So I spent nights and weekends putting together my portfolio yeah. to take in there. Did you have any help with it? No. Huh? <clears throat> no, I had no idea. I was just doing everything. Yeah. I figured you might as well try to do everything. <laughs> and so I finally had an interview with a lady just up the street from Chenard. And um, they accepted me, but I had to take a qualifying drawing class mm. with my my drawings were just way, way too tight. I was trying to put in, if I was drawing a tree, I'd put every leaf on that tree, and, <laughs> yeah. you know. And that's not what they wanted to see, you know. So I had to take qualifying drawing <clears throat> with a gentleman by the name of Watson Cross, great art teacher. And uh, so I got to do that for eight weeks, and I'm thinking, well, if I don't make it, at least I got eight weeks at Chenard, you know, which... <laughs> You know, when you read about the history of it, that was where Disney sent all of his guys before Snow White to teach them how to draw and, and learn locomotion and stuff like that. And, and ironically, they, uh, when I finally did get into Chenard, one of my teachers was Don Graham, who actually taught the animators that came in to mm -hmm. learn for Snow White, you know. And uh, so he was my composition teacher. But uh, so I then I found out they were going to phase out the animation department there. So being first year student, they said, okay, well, we know this is what your major is going to be, and 
And so they put me into to the animation department uh, yeah. classes there, and uh, which I'm kind of glad because I only had enough money to get me through two years of school anyway. Yeah. And I would never have made it to my third year to take my major, you know, so I finally got a taste of it. I don't know how these things happen. They just seem to happen just at the right time, you know, for some odd reason, you yeah, know. Yeah, and, uh, line up. <clears throat> yeah, the universe is on my side. <laughs> That's good. And so uh, when I, when I um, actually while I was going to Chouinard, I was... I would go up to a little studio called Murakami Wolf and, mm. and the little commercial house up there. Yeah. And, and all over the place, I was trying all over the place, you know. And even before that, I had uh, sent my, I had written to some studios and I wrote to Filmation. This is before I got into art school. And I met Lou Scheimer at Filmation, who was courteous enough to, uh, gracious enough to, to look at my, my drawings, you know. And but I was just excited because here I'm I'm in a studio. Yeah. Oh God, I'm in a real studio. I'm talking to a real studio head. This is cool. And it was just very encouraging to me, you know. And so I kept that in the back of my head, you know. And then when I went to art school, um, uh, and uh, went through the the whole animation program there, and find it was time when I ran out of money, but the school was also shutting down mm. out there. <coughs> To move out to Valencia to become CalArts, mm. and uh, so I, um, I'm sitting there thinking, well, now I got to get a job. I got to find a job, you know. And I was scared to death to even try at Disney. <laughs> Honestly, I really was. And so I, I thought, and this was on a Friday. I called Lou Scheimer at Filmation. I was naive enough to think, you know. You don't talk to studio heads on the phone. They don't put you through. But sure enough, he answers the phone. They put him through. And I told him who I was. And he said he remembered me. I'm not sure if that's true or not, but he said he remembered me. And I said, you know, know, I really want to get into business, and I'm willing to work for nothing. I really am. And uh, he says, no, 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 no. Don't worry about that. He says, come in here Monday morning. So here I'm out of fresh out of art school. I call on a Friday. I have my first job on Monday morning. That's and incredible. Thinking, this is outrageous. <laughs> so I go drive down to Reseda and uh, got there before they even unlocked the doors. I'm just sitting out in front. And finally somebody came and unlocked the doors, and I sat in the lobby, and I was waiting because I didn't know who I was supposed to see. Yeah. I'm just sitting there waiting. And then finally this gentleman by the name of uh, uh, Mike Hazy. Uh, who I became good friends with over the years, came in and says, are you Dale? And I said, yes. And he says, follow me. Very kind of gruff-looking sounding guy. And anyway, we go upstairs, and they they started me out in the layout department there, which I'm kind of glad because I I didn't want to do Saturday morning animation because yeah. that really is an animation to me. So I was happy to start in layout. I really was. Was this background layout or character layout? It, background and character. Oh, you do well, both. Okay. You get it all set up for the background painter yeah. and the animator nice. and but I wound up putting in like like 20 poses on a character anyway. I was <laughs> animating it anyway so I didn't care but but uh, yeah. uh, can you remember your first day on the job like what oh gosh yes like your first it was scene like it was first it was like it was like it was yesterday yeah yeah I'm I had no in art school I don't know I'm sorry but and I have a feeling it's the same way today they don't teach you every little thing mm-hmm. 
I try, yeah. I teach there now, and I keep, I try to, mm. to cover everything. And so they just sit me down and they start me on a show. Mm. It was the Jerry Lewis show. And I sort of start, I get my storyboard, so I just start drawing backgrounds and figuring yeah. out where the character's going to be. And they... Nobody showed you anything to Nobody showed me anything. God. And then they check on me about an hour or two later. And they say, no, 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 no. <laughs> so they introduced me to field guides, which is what... <laughs> yeah. the area that encompasses what the camera's going to see, you mm. know. <clears throat> and so I had to redo everything I started on, <laughs> which wasn't all that much, but, you know, you, I learned the hard way yeah. there. And, you know, and they weren't, they were demanding because you had to get a show out every week. You know, yeah. so it was like, okay. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but I made it through there. I made it through there. I, and I actually was starting to do presentation pieces for mm. them, and I was having a ball. Yeah. It really was. I didn't care that it was for Saturday morning. Yeah. I really didn't. I was You're in the business. Yeah. I was in the business. And uh, <clears throat> I had a lady friend, or a lady there that I got to know really well, and she was a, she'd worked at Disney back in the 40s. Mm. And so she was a, a, a pro, and she sort of, she, she would just be sort of laughing under her breath at, at times about me yeah. because she, she was watching me struggle and was like, you know, probably reminding her of her first few days you know, in the <laughs> business. Yeah. And, um, <clears throat> but then they had, uh, they had their layoff season coming, which was like, I was there like a total of about seven months. Mm and layoff season was coming. I'd never experienced layoff season. <laughs> I'm thinking, oh, what am I going to do? I didn't save enough money to, yeah. to Get you know, make, make it through, you know. Mm. And uh, <clears throat> found out that everybody's secret was you know, they just sock it away. They don't go out to dinner. They yeah. don't do nothing, you know, because it's got to get them through Christmas, mm. you know. And, but there were some shows that, you know, Lewis Scheimer was off to New York to sell and everything like that. So it was just a waiting game. So mm. it was downtime. And uh, I had two ladies, there were two ladies there. One was the widow of a gentleman by the name of Charles Philippi, who was one of Disney's, one of the best layout people Disney ever had. He did a lot of stuff on Pinocchio and Peter Pan and things like that. Well, she was like the head of the ink and paint department there. And then there was another lady, her name was Doris Plow, and she she was, um, <clears throat> the other lady was Jane Philippi, by the way, and, but then Doris Plow was uh, head of the assistants there. Okay. And but they both were <clears throat> Disney people yeah. from before. So anyway, um, Doris and both Jane and Doris said, you know, yes, you don't belong here. You need to go to Disney. And I'm thinking, there's no way I'm going to get into that place. Said, well, they got a training program. They're just starting up. And Doris was going to have lunch with a gentleman by the name of Andy Engman, who ran the animation department back then. Very portly guy, very sweet man. Anyway, she uh, brought me back an application for lunch that day. Yeah. And I filled it out. And Probably a week later, I was laid off, you know, but then I got a letter in the mail, and I still have it. I got it in a frame <laughs> from Mandy Engman, oh. you know, March of 71, and uh, saying, please report to, you know, you know, my office or whatever, you know, yeah. at your earliest convenience. I forget how the letter was worded, but... Uh, so you, you got laid off in November. You had to wait through to March to get... No, actually, I started in August... At Filmation in 70. Oh, okay. 
And so August, September, October, and it was actually uh, March. I was like, I had, I had a, I was here within a week's time wow. on the training program. That's incredible. And uh, um, they, it was interesting too because uh, the guys here had no idea how to train people. Mm. They, they were fine with people that came onto their units and they'd work with them on a picture. Yeah. But having a bunch of Kit, and actually, there's only me and one other guy. <laughs> there's two of us on the training program here, believe it or not. I was so lucky when I started in this business because nobody really wanted to get into it. The people that were in it were the ones that had gotten into it during the Depression, yeah. and that's who you had, you know. And uh, But uh, there were six of the nine old men still at the studio, mm. and they were told, you guys have to start training, yeah. training young people. And so they thought, well, okay. And uh, they weren't too happy about it. Some weren't too happy about it. Some didn't care. <laughs> Others, there's a couple that really did not want to do that. Yeah. They wanted to take it to the grave with them. Oh. And uh, <clears throat> so they started it. And uh, the assignment was, uh, Willie Ratherman was the director here at the time. And so he sort of took the lead on this training program and he just says, well, have them animate Goofy doing something. Willie used to be what they called the Goof Man because yeah. he would animate a lot of Goofy shorts. And uh, so we thought, okay, that'll be kind of fun. I kind of <laughs> like Goofy. You know, he's pseudo-human yeah. and pseudo-cartoon, so you can get a mixture in there. And they can, it's a good character to test people's skills on, mm. you know. And uh, the other guy that was here at the time was a guy named Ted Kiersey who became an effects animator here for mm. years and uh, he left about two years ago I think and uh, um, he had started an art props there art props is like just it's a room full of guys that are just like gophers they'll do anything <laughs> they frame pictures they'll deliver mail they'll do artwork for productions whatever mm. you know if they need a a sign that somebody's tacking on a tree in a, in a movie, you know, they'll draw up this sign, you know. <clears throat> and so it was just him and me. As I recall, it was only a three-week training wow. program. that's fast. That's very fast, <laughs> you know. And now the, now the kids have three months, six months, whatever. Yeah. You so know. three weeks to learn all that the nine old men had to teach you? <laughs> well, no, they weren't teaching us. We were just put in a room, oh, okay. and we did a test so they could oh. see what we what, could if do. If you were worthy. See if we were worthy, yes. <laughs> and uh, I made the same mistake that I made when I did my portfolio for Chouinard. I, you know, I started drawing too tight. Yeah. You know, here I took qualifying drawing to learn how to loosen up, and <laughs> I come to Disney thinking, oh, i got to impress these people, you know, so I'm drawing Thanks goofy tight, with his hat on and his vest on and patches <laughs> on his shirt and and every stitch on every patch and yeah. every whisker on, on his muzzle <laughs> and and I swear it was taking me forever taking me forever and I think maybe two days into it I went to lunch and Andy Engman got curious and so he started to walk around to see what I was doing yeah. and so when I came back I passed him in the hall and he just said loosen up there's that word again <laughs> you know so I went to the morgue because I wanted to see okay you know, how would other animators here have animated this scene yeah. but the only in the morgue is a is a place where they used to store all the artwork in the basement underneath the paint department across the street here and um, 
so I went down there and they just kept all the stuff in cardboard boxes and shelves, you know. And fortunately, they start they changed that system because termites started eating the graphite off okay. their paper. Believe it or not, <laughs> so it's like so now that's why we have the ARL where you have to use gloves to go yeah. look at artwork and it's you know, climate controlled rooms and stuff like that. So, nice. but I was flipping through every scene. I think I spent an entire day down there, mm-hmm. and. But they saved, they never saved animators rough, they always saved the cleanup guys. So I'm thinking, but this is what I'm doing, I don't understand, what, no. how, how yeah. am I supposed to loosen this up, you know? I think it was on my very last scene, I'm flipping through, because I was about ready to give up, and out pops a John Sibley rough. John Sibley was a really good animator here. And it was just a circle for Goofy's head, a shape for his muzzle, two dots for eyes, stick for his neck, a long pear-shaped body, two sticks for arms, and two circles for hands. I thought, well, maybe this is what they need. So I Xeroxed it, pinned it up. That was my model sheet. So I went back to my room, and I chunked everything in the trash and started over. And boy, it sure saved me a lot of time. I, mean, I got through that <laughs> yeah. stuff so fast. And but that's exactly what they wanted to see, yeah. you know? And so after... I was supposed to show, or they were supposed to look at my work on a Friday, and they got busy with meetings or something happened, and I couldn't look at it. So it was like the longest weekend. I took my lot, my little walk around the back lot when they used to have it here, and I thought this is it's probably going to be the last time I'm going to see this place, <laughs> you know. So I want to take it all in, and uh, came back Monday morning. I was here early again. You know, I'd get here at 5 o'clock and leave at 9 o'clock at night. <laughs> so I got here at 5 o'clock and I sat there. Mm. Nobody showed up till 8 o'clock, you know, but I sat there. Oh, and I'm thinking, I just want to just take this all in because, you know, I don't know. So and around 8 o'clock, 8.30, somewhere around in there, Don Duckwolf, who was, um, I forgot what his title was. Honestly, I forget what his title was. He was above, like, Andy Engman and people like that. And he, anyway, he came down to my room, and uh, his stationery actually would have Donald Duck on top of a block wall, because his <laughs> nice. name was Duck Wall, so. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, he was a really sweet guy, and he came down and says, come on, I need you to come with me. And I said, well, where are we going? And he said, we're going upstairs. And so we went upstairs to the second floor and to Willie Reitherman's wing. Walked into Willie's wing and into his office, and there's Willie. There's Frank Thomas, Ollie Johnston, Eric Larson, John Lounsbury, Milt Call. Am I forgetting anybody? There's six of them there. And I used the term, I said it was like going to Mount Olympus and seeing the gods. It really was because I was dumbfounded. Yeah. So you, you know, knew who they were? Well, I, there was only one picture in one book. Oh, yeah. And that was Bill Thomas's book on uh, Sleeping Beauty. Sleeping. Yeah. And it shows them all in the sweat box. But this was 1957. This is now almost, well, not quite 20 years later. But so, but every time I would, when I first got here, everybody I'd pass in the hall, I'd be like, who's that, who's that? <laughs> yeah. I never know where any of these people were sitting. They yeah. just stuck me in a room, and I kind of just stayed there and, yeah. and worked everything out. And, <clears throat> and uh, <clears throat> Willie at one point asked me, he said, would you like to see your stuff up on the big screen? <laughs> And I just I, I just shook my head no, and he was like, like, 
that's odd. Why wouldn't you want to do that? And, and but Lounsbury laughed, and a few other people laughed, and so that was that. So they welcomed me aboard, and I started doing assistant work for Frank and Ollie, and doing work in betweens and cleanup in betweens and anything that I could do. You know, and they said you can do your personal tests on your own time. So come five o'clock, I stopped what I was doing there, and I'd start doing some personal tests. You know, and I was picking scenes that I would see on some of Kim Anderson's boards upstairs in the story story room and uh, something that would intrigue me I'd, I'd copy it and I'd go down and I'd animate it you know and, and but Willie Willie was a very open person you could go basically go in and yeah. see him anytime right here. you can't find the directors now <laughs> yeah. honestly you can't find anybody now but back then just go up and Willie's secretary was right there and say is does Willie have time to look at something? And yeah. if he'd see you standing there by Lorraine's desk, he'd say, "Come on in, come on in." So I come in and you put it up on the moviola and you know show him what you have. You know, and he was very courteous, and everybody else. There wasn't really a mentor program like yeah. there is now, where you get one animator as your mentor. Yeah. You had all six of them. You know, yeah. to to That's talk amazing. to. But it depended on who you were comfortable with, yeah. you know. So I wound up gravitating to John Lounsbury and Eric Larson. And then there was one other gentleman uh, whose name was Hal King. He wasn't one of the Night Old Men, but he was one of their top animators there. And those were the three guys that I would go to because you felt like you weren't failing miserably, <laughs> you know. You felt like you were contributing and they would just look at your stuff and see how they could, you could plus it, you mm. know. They wouldn't throw it out and say, no, 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 you have to do it this way. You know, yeah. they, would, they were very fair. They would just, you know, <clears throat> look at what you had and and, uh, and work with you with yeah. it, you know. So you actually felt nice. like you were, add, you know, adding something to the movie, you yeah. know. And, uh, <clears throat> and so that, my little stint here at that time lasted about six years. How was the transfer over from the nine old men to the younger generation? Uh, well, we'll get to that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, during, before I left here, uh, my mentor, uh, my who I consider my mentor, John Lounsbury, mm. he passed away, and things were starting to change because a lot of the younger people were coming in. Uh, Don Bluth was coming in. Now Don Bluth was a guy that I. You know, you can edit this out if you want, but he's a guy that I don't really get along, get along with. And, and I, I worked with him at Filmation, yeah. and he was, he was, he was hard to, you know, to please, you know. <clears throat> and uh, but he is one of these guys that uh, can get a following. He's like the Pipe Piper, you know. And when he came here, he came, he showed up here three months after I did. You know, and I thought, oh gosh, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get it because he was just one of these guys that could convince everybody that he was, he was wonderful, and they were yeah. actually starting to groom him to take over, <clears throat> and um, and but then Frank and Ollie and Milt, they all felt like they nobody wanted to go see them, mm. nobody wanted to get advice from them of these young people. Oh yeah. They, one of them, Gary Goldman, actually outright, you know, out loud said, you can't wait till these guys retire and 
get out of here so that they can take over and do it their way. They all thought that they had the answer, you know. One of the problems was because the studio, instead of putting them through the training program where they would in between for people, mm, yeah. up, they started, the management here started worrying that, that there wasn't enough time for that. So yeah. they just rolled out the red carpet, gave them the title animator, and yeah. that was all they needed to know. So now they know it all, you know. <clears throat> It's like a, it's like there's a thing at, at Cal Arts when the kids have the portfolio day there, and people from all over, studios from all over, come in. If they like what they see, they put job offers on the portfolio. So now the kids come back and go, eh, I don't need this anymore. I got a job offer oh, here. I can I go out and get yeah. start in the business, and yeah. and they got the wrong idea, you know. Yeah. And uh, but that's what these guys did here. And, <coughs> And plus there was this click going on that, you know, everybody would go into Don's room and they would close the door and they'd have this little meeting because they were working on side projects. And uh, Pete's dragon was kind of my downfall on this in here because I just did not like the dragon. I could not draw that dragon. <laughs> and I was, I was not a happy camper here. Plus, Mill Call left... Ollie and Frank went upstairs to work on their books. Yeah. Lounsbury had passed away. Eric had gone upstairs to teach younger their training program. So I thought, well, maybe it's just time for me to go. It's not the same here anymore. You know, when I came here, you still had the history here. Mm -hmm. You know, then the history left, you know, outside of Eric, but the history left. And, and Wooly wasn't directing anymore. He was producing so you never saw him very much anymore. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> so this friend, this lady friend of mine that was in my room when I started a filmation was working for Ralph Bakshi at the time. And uh, so I called her and I, you know, told her, I said, you know, I, what, I didn't know what was out there. Once you're behind these gates yeah. here, you don't know what's going on in the world. You really don't. It's like they, they protect you, you know, and you do, you feel very protected here. Yeah. But so I didn't know what was going on. She said, well, we just finished a picture called Wizards. And it's out in the theaters now. Do you want to go see it and, and, and see what you think? Because it's a Ralph Bakshi picture. And I said, yeah, okay. So we went, had some dinner and went to see Wizards. And it wasn't my kind of movie, but I thought, wow, this guy's different, yeah. Yeah. you know. And she, so she was kind of encouraging me to just go at least talk to him. And they were going to start Lord of the Rings at that time. This is like 1977, I think. And uh, <clears throat> so I did. I made a phone call to him and got an appointment to go see him. And he actually hired me and doubled my salary. So that well, that's a good start, <laughs> yeah. you know. So I went back and I gave my two weeks' notice mm. here and. <clears throat> Don wasn't too happy about it. Don Bluth wasn't too happy about it. He says, well, and he was kind of kind of nasty about it. He says, well, you haven't worked on the outside very often, have you? He says, it might be good for you. But then he also had a little uh, lecture thing he did every day and would put out these little papers with different little hats on them about, you know, insisting that people wear different hats, you know, on a production, you know, which yeah. is fine. I don't mind that philosophy. 
but his one of his philosophies was you should be like ballet dancers and draw to your fingers bleed. I'm thinking, I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> I got other things I want to do too. <laughs> anyway, he, he told everybody there, said, well, I, I guess you all know that Dale's leaving, but he'll be back and we'll just have to start all over again. So when I heard that from a friend, I thought, Okay, I'm gonna. I'll become a garbage man before, before I go back <laughs> here. You know, I really will. You know, I, I, there's just no way. Yeah. And I don't think it was a year or so after I left that he left with 14 people. And yeah. <clears throat> so, but then, but then I'd already gotten to like the outside. Mm. I really did. I I spent a year and a half with Ralph on Lord of the Rings and. I liked the responsibilities he gave me, mm -hmm. and then when he was having a layoff, I had met Richard Williams. Richard Williams used to come in here and meet Frank and Ollie and Milt. He was a big fan. He would want to come in and show them everything yeah. he was doing, you know. So I got to got to know Richard during the early '70s here. <clears throat> so I called him and see if he had anything, and sure enough, he did. <clears throat> so I kind of left and started into doing commercials, which, you know, became my forte or later on. <clears throat> and um, I got to know, he was in a building they called the Quartet Building on Hollywood Boulevard. And Quartet was another studio from back in the 40s and 50s that did all the early, early Tony the Tiger commercials yeah. and things. And so I got to know Mike Law. Mike Law used to be an animator for MGM during its heyday with, with Bill Hanna and Joe Barbera before yeah. they started Hanna-Barbera. <clears throat> and uh, so I got to know him really well and got to pick up some Tony the Tigers from him and, nice. you know, bounced back and forth. Richard was on one side of the stairwell and the other, <laughs> and Fortet was on the other side, so I'd just go across the hall and, you know, when Richard didn't have anything, whatever. And then I, I had, I was married at the time and we had, I had a house here in Burbank and, mm -hmm. And uh, I, I don't know if Richard, I think, I think we were just sort of wanting to explore something else. So we left Richard and uh, sold my house and started just doing presentation pieces for some things that we thought might be kind of fun little projects to do. Yeah. So I lived off the money that I got from my house for a year. And it was kind of fun just waking up in the morning, making some coffee, go yeah. sit in the living room and draw, you know, <laughs> yeah. whatever it is you're doing. That's good. And, um, uh, but that didn't last very long because we started running out of money. But but then I got a job with, uh, through a friend um, who worked at uh, Wet Enterprises, which is now WDI, doing all the Disneyland stuff. And they had a, a job they needed done. Uh, so he kind of let us know what it was and kind of let us know where our budget should fall. Yeah. Because they were only going to look at three bids and pick one. And well, they picked ours. Oh, nice. So we did this thing called Atlas of the Living Seas. And uh, um, sort of in between there, too, I was picking up storyboard work from Hanna-Barbera, too, which was a, a lot of fun also. <coughs> but we did this Atlas of the Living Seas. And Bethany ran there for, gosh, I don't know, 10 years or something like that till, till they switched it over to Finding Nemo and stuff like that. I was in the Living Seas Pavilion in Epcot. And, uh, but then we started living off of whatever monies we made there, but then we started 
running out of money again. Yeah. And we we're starting to go back into doing our personal projects and stuff. And, and, um, Was your wife an animator too? Or? A cleanup artist, cleanup. yeah. And so all of a sudden we were starting to get desperate. So I started making phone calls and we couldn't find anything. The industry was at that point, it was like 1987, I think. The whole industry was kind of shut down yeah. for some reason. You know, I couldn't find anything. And, uh, and uh, all of a sudden the phone rang and it was Don Hahn, who I used to know because he was an assistant director here for Woolly. And so I, I knew him from 1971 on, and until uh, I left. And now he's a producer out there. So he was working on Roger Rabbit, and I had seen the early attempts at Roger Rabbit when Daryl Van Sickles was doing it, and it, became, it was a very Warner-esque looking rabbit, a very stylized Warner-esque rabbit. And I wasn't too crazy about it. I thought, yeah, okay, you know, but. They weren't offering me to work on it at yeah. that time, but then when I found out that Richard Williams was doing it in London, uh, we got invited over to Amblin over at Universal, and they showed us the test piece that Richard had done. And, oh my gosh, that thing yeah. was the most impressive thing I ever saw. <laughs> I mean, it had every, all the bells and whistles in it, you know, and uh, so. Don had asked if I wanted to work on it. Of course, I said yes. I wasn't about to say, <laughs> let me think about it, you yeah. know, because I'm, I'm already desperate anyway, you know. So, <laughs> I, uh, so we got involved in it. We got a, went through portfolio reviews in our warehouse that we, that they put us in on the airway in Glendale there, <clears throat> and um, started right in on that thing. Eight months of, of solid work and crazy work, you know. <laughs> But what was fascinating to me was that I'm used to working by myself. Like, I had a desk in the laundry room at home in Laurel Canyon, and and that was that was about it. You know, now I'm having to to head up 75 people. Yeah. It was quite a quite a shock, you know, to my system. You know, so you're but supervising or directing? Directing, directing. And, and supervising and animating and everything <laughs> else that had to be done. You know, but. Because oh, this is through your studios. No, studio it wasn't. No? no, it was. Well, we had been incorporated, but they hired us as subcontractors. Oh, okay. Not not through my company name, yeah. but yeah, because we incorporated ourselves when we did the the, the uh, wedding, you know, the, um, the Disney World job. Oh, okay. But they weren't going to hire us as a company. They wanted just they hired us as employees. But yeah. that was fine. I didn't care. And uh, so, but I found out I really liked overseeing a, a, a project like that. It's only eight minutes long, yeah. but my gosh, it was eight months of eight minutes, you know, and, <laughs> and intense work because, I mean, it's complicated work, mm. you know, but uh, I really, I really fell in love with, with sort of running like a little studio in yeah. a way, you know, because there was... Nobody else there that was running it but me, basically. I mean, Jeffrey Katzenberg and Peter Schneider would come in and check on things every Tuesday. Yeah. But that would be about it, you know. Um, and you dealt back and forth with Amblin and, and, and London and, and stuff like that. And that was exciting to me. It really was. And uh, But then the weird thing about that was once every department was finished toward the end, 
you'd come in the next day, that room was empty. Movers came in. You didn't have a chance to have a going away party for yeah. anybody. And then it wound up with just me there and one other person to help pack stuff up and put in a little attic that they had in this warehouse. And then you go home and it's like it's just it's like somebody just dropped a curtain. Yeah. You know, it was done. And uh, but then a few months, a few weeks later maybe, uh, Don Hahn called called me up and said we're going to do two commercials in the Roger Rabbit style. And I thought okay, and so we're going to bring back some of the crew from your unit. So mm. I said great. So it was like the, the, the home week there, yeah. you know, because. Uh, it wasn't everybody, but it was a it was a good sized little group of people, maybe twenty five of us, you know, to do these commercials. And, and uh, <clears throat> we did the first one, which was a, a Cinderella Coca Cola spot, because they were going to re-release Cinderella on VHS. And we got to work with uh, Penny Marshall, which was kind of interesting, you know. <laughs> She's not the Laverne you're used to seeing on Laverne and Shirley. <laughs> she's a wholly different person. She's a, she's a real taskmaster, yeah. you know. And she's not a very social person, you know. So, But it was interesting watching her work, yeah. you know. And then when we finished that, Don came over to me and says, I don't like doing commercials. Do you want the other one? <laughs> and I said, sure. <laughs> so fortunately, the producer of the next one was in-house that day. Mm. So I got to meet her. She was out of New York and it was going to be the Disney Pampers, Disney Babies Pampers spot. So I got to meet her. <coughs> I got to meet some people over at a little studio called Apogee, which was going to do all the live action work and met a gentleman by the name of Trip Groover who was going to shoot the live action on it. And he and I became very good friends over the years and he was crazy. <laughs> he couldn't. He was the type of guy that didn't know if he wanted to be a, a film director or a rock star. So he dressed like a rock star and became a film director. So he had the best of both worlds. Okay. <clears throat> so that kind of started my company. Yeah. Started Bear Animation, and commercials just kept on coming in. It was insane, you know, because everybody wanted this look, whether it be just traditional two D. You know, like Jolly Green Giant commercials and stuff. No live action. They still wanted the Roger Rabbit look. So it was a lot of work, you know, for something that simple. But <laughs> hey, they wanted it. They paid for it. And kept doing that for like at least 10 years, 10, 12 years. It's a good run. Yeah. But then I, my wife and I got divorced at, toward the end there. And <clears throat> and uh, I, I couldn't. It was hard for me working in there, and then I just started freelancing around. And I even tried to start a company again, but it didn't didn't pan out as well, you know, because work was actually not many people wanted that kind of work anymore. Everything was going more toward computers and stuff. So, and at that time, I wasn't into computers, and I had a couple experiences with. Uh, I think I did a little stint with. Uh, Boss Films on a film called uh, Species, where they had the character of Species was a doll, but it was motion capture. Oh. And but it was a little doll that five guys, four or five guys, had were running around the stage, maneuvering, <laughs> and nothing worked. I mean, it was like t 
totally bizarre stuff was uh, duplicating itself but in a very weird way and <clears throat> and so I got a call from a lady at Boston and said can you come in here and look at this stuff because we can't figure out why it doesn't work so I, I went and I spent quite a few weeks going back and forth to Marina Del Rey I live out in Palmdale and down to Marina Del Rey that's a long haul <laughs> but I did that for five, six weeks, I think, and there were like 25 scenes in that whole movie, and they had 25 animators, in. but it was when computers were really, really, really slow, Yeah. and they weren't, you couldn't move the character around like you can in a computer today. Yeah. There was this little tiny wireframe at the bottom of the screen, only one view, and you're taking the best shot, you know, but then you have to wait till it kind of uh, renders itself. So the animator would just get up and leave for 30 minutes, and he'd come back. And if it didn't work, he'd start over. Do it over. again. And I'm thinking, I'm never going to get it. <laughs> There's no way. This is the most stupid stuff I ever saw. <clears throat> and then I wound up doing a, a stint with um, with DreamWorks on the very first Shrek. I liked the character development part. I did a lot of character development on Shrek himself and the donkey early, early on, you know, and then working with a, with a guy who had a little laptop and he had a rig built in there of Shrek. And so I did these poses for him to try to manipulate, but it never worked. I'm looking at this thing thinking, why are people so interested in doing stuff this way? This doesn't make any sense to me, you know? And then they finally sent me on a, on a trip to, to various studios in town who were competing for the job of animating on Shrek. Okay. And I would go in there and I would look at this stuff and it made no sense to me. Honestly, it made no sense. And so DreamWorks finally picked a company, you know, it was PDI or something like that. And, and um, um, but they were only paying me for half a week. I couldn't live on half a week's salary, so, and, um, so finally, I got a call from uh, Randy Fulmer at Disney, wanting to know if I wanted to come back. And I said, you better believe it. <laughs> so so um, everybody was using this one lawyer out there to, to work their contracts mm. at Disney, because Disney was, yeah, after the success of Lion King, everybody was getting paid good, good money. Yeah. And, and they had contracts with one month vacations in there and whatnot, you know. So, but they, you know, at that time they kind of stopped doing that, but they gave me the lawyer's name to get out of my DreamWorks contract so I could get my Disney contract. So I went back to Disney on, uh, on um, a film called Kingdom of the Sun, which was the predecessor to Emperor's New Groove. And I was going to work in Andreas's unit on Yzma. And but the story wasn't satisfying the upper echelon, so they shelved it for, I guess, almost a year, you know, while I went into a rework. And um, Roger Allers was one of the directors. He, he left. He didn't want to, well, he didn't leave the studio. He just left that production. And because he wanted a more serious, historical-type story. Right. And Mark Dindle was a co-director on that one as well, but Mark had another idea, so that became Emperor's New Groove, which 
was probably one of the most fun movies I think mm -hmm. I've ever worked on there. Because Mark, for one thing, knew exactly what he wanted, so it was you were never in question as to what you had to do yeah. day and from day to day. And um, so I wound up getting asked if I wanted, to, after Andreas left, because he didn't want to work on it anymore either, because he wanted to do a serious villainous character and, and not a comical one. And yeah. Me, I could care less, you know, <laughs> whatever you got, you know. And so they asked me if I wanted to do, lead that character. And nice. I said, you betcha. Yeah. So I did that, and then that kept leading from one job to another, um, uh, leading characters. And the last one I did was Slim from Home on the Range mm. uh, before the. The, the studio decided to shut down 2D animation. Mm. And so then all of a sudden we're all like scrambling around wondering, okay, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? You know, and Ellen Woodbury, who was an animator here, set up, set up a couple computer classes. It was able to arrange those, you know, mm. but the studio wasn't about to foot the bill for training all of us, you yeah. know, but somehow somebody gave in and they did. You know, so we wound up doing whatever computer classes they had to offer, be it at night or during the day, and just to learn it. And I wasn't thrilled about it, but it was the only thing on the table, you yeah. know, so, so I did it. And wound up doing two computer pictures, Chicken Little and, and Meet the Robinsons. And Meet the Robinsons was great because all of a sudden they came to me at one we hadn't finished Chicken Little yet, and they came to me and asked me if I wanted to lead a character on Meet the Robinsons. I said, are you guys out of your mind? I don't <laughs> even know what I'm doing here. And they said, well, you'll be fine, you'll be fine. So I was thinking, okay. Unfortunately, back then, you know, you had, everybody would, would be there to help you, you know, so you never worried too much, yeah. you know. And, uh, did you, like, draw your, your animation before you went into the computer? How no, did you manage it? I, well, we did we would do our wish list of how we would like the character to okay. move. So when they were designing the character rigs, that they would put the right controls in. You okay. know, but yeah. for some reason, they took it to a certain point, and they said, well, this is the best we can do. Mm -hmm. And so you'd play with it, and you think, I can't do anything with this. I, I would like him to be able to move his shoulders up into up into his head, but mm -hmm. you know, I can't, can't, can't even get him up, like, you know, barely get him up there, you know. and. Uh, so, for some reason, a bunch of us, we took a break one day, and we went to see The Incredibles at the theater in Burbank, and, and I couldn't believe what yeah. we were seeing, you know, it was like phenomenal. And come back, and a few days later, the riggers say, guess what we can do for you? you know, they, <laughs> they were there, too, and they yeah. saw what their competition was, yeah. and so all of a sudden, everything just just changed, you know, and now we got something that we could work with that wasn't the best, but it was better than it was, you yeah. know, so we lived with it, and, and uh, but I didn't mind doing it so much once I got used to it, because you learned a lot from everybody, you know, on your crew and stuff, and, and it turned out not too shabby, you know, <laughs> I really did, I mean, it was fun, and, uh, and then we... Then things went, turned around and we wound up going back to 2D. We did a couple of shorts. We did a Nessie short yeah, and a Goofy good. short, which was, they were so much fun. But actually you're thinking, my God, I've been doing CG for five years now. What if I've forgotten how to animate, you know? 
But once you start doing it, it's like, you know, it came back. Yeah. Like, oh, so we got that. I got to. They wanted us to learn how to draw on the computer, on the Cintiq. Mm. And they had a new program called Harmony or Tune Boom. Mm. And I actually found love with that thing. You know, I found it was so easy to draw on that thing and so easy to make your changes yeah. and and plan your shots and, and you know they mounted my Cintiq on my desk where my disc used to be and I was I was in heaven you know yeah. a lot of people complained about it because it wasn't like drawing on paper you didn't have that texture you know yeah. but I didn't care you know? it, was like, it was just so easy was, my room was never so clean <laughs> and there were drawings all over the floor yeah. you know and uh, but then they, they told us we couldn't use that anymore because it was too expensive. Yes, indeed. Yeah, so we wound up going back to paper, which was, okay, fine, I don't yeah. care, whatever. <laughs> and uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, I remember, oh, I know it was, uh, some of us were thinking we were going to have to go on Rapunzel, which became tangled. Mm. So a lot of us thought, oh, okay, I guess we're going back to CG, you know, so we all started doing tests on it, you know, and, but the whole atmosphere of CG people, they sort of changed. They became a little bit more um, um, protective of their little area, and they really didn't like us being there, you know, and so we could, you were getting the message before you got into it too deep, you know, and then finally Winnie the Pooh showed up, so we all jump ship and went over to Winnie the That looked the like crew. such a fun movie to work it on. It was a fun movie to work on. And, and uh, so we did that. And then I think, was it Princess and the Frog that came next, I think? I can't remember which one came first. <laughs> Honestly, I can't remember. I think Princess and the Frog then came after that. And it was like, oh my God, a lot of us were just in heaven on that yeah. thing. And, uh, but then things have just sort of, since then, things have sort of changed. You know, it's gone more CG, they wanted to use us more in the development end of things, but we're finding, uh, I'm finding a little resistance there, you know. Uh, they asked us to do motion tests on characters to see how how the character could move, and yeah. and, uh, and so we would do that. And But then it got to the point where nobody was asking us to do anything. You know, we would yeah. go in and ask them, would you, is there anything you want us to do? And they'd say, no, not right now. So so I wound up doing some, I went to another gentleman by the name of Bill Schwab, who was in character development. So I started picking up some stuff from him. Yeah. But it becomes like piecemeal. You know, you're not really finding a, a niche there anymore. I'm not finding a lot of uh, collaboration that much anymore, which is kind of sad. Yeah, it's really sad. Because one of the successful films they did was Tangled because Glenn Keane came in and did drawovers over Mm, almost every single shot and pushed the characters, pushed their dialogue, pushed their poses. They even brought in people to sculpt the characters because so you could get more artistic yeah. looking design to them with straights against curves and mm-hmm. and I thought they were going to keep that up. Too. Yeah, well, they kind of were for a while, and they, but Glenn left, and they would have some animators come in, but they never put that kind of passion into yeah. the stuff that like Glenn had done, and a lot of us would love to be able to do that. Yeah. But, uh, 
once we started on Moana here, they uh, uh, they asked us for our input. They said, we really want your input. And they're telling this to me and Mark Hinn. And we thought, yeah, sure, no problem. <clears throat> so we went back and we started doing tests for them and everything. And, and they were kind of hesitant on their critiques of it, you know, and then they were hesitant on asking for help in on other areas of it. Yeah. And, and, uh, and then when we would go to dailies, now dailies is a, is a place you go to speak up. Mm. Back when John Lasseter, a lot of us would never sh show stuff in dailies, you know. We'd, we'd rather just show the directors, get their input, and go back and fix it, you know. But then when John Lasseter took over the studio here, that was what he insisted. You go to dailies, you speak up, yeah. you comment, you know, you say what you don't like or like, you know, throw out your ideas, you know, and that became, especially on, uh, on Princess and the Frog, that became like the most stimulating times, you know, because you were, you were actually hearing ideas that you thought, well, why didn't I think of that? Yeah. And you'd go back and you'd add that idea, you know, and and so there was a, it was quite a nice little little collaboration of thoughts and opinions, and, and it always boiled down to the director's final decision, you know. So, you know, you could hear 25 or 30 different ideas, but the director would say, no, keep it that way, or, yeah, why don't you try that part, you know, but keep the rest of it this way, whatever, you know. So you, you were fine with it, you know. Yeah. And uh, it, it created an energy that you don't normally get, yeah. you know. And um, so... On Moana, we started going to dailies and, and speaking up. Mm. And all of a sudden, I'm called in, and I know some of the other guys were called in at various times, and we were told not to speak, not to say anything, because it was the animator's time with the directors. Mm. And we were told we could, we could speak if we wanted to go to rounds, but the directors aren't there, so mm. we're up against the other animators, and if they... I don't think they would have agreed with some of our thoughts, you know. Yeah. So I would start doing drawings instead. I would just, I'd go back, I'd see something, and I'd go back, and I'd do, find the scene, and I'd do a printout, and I'd do a drawover, and I'd put it on the animator's desk. And then I was called in saying, you're bombarding the animators with drawings, and they don't like it. So oh a lot God. of us just stopped going to dailies. We stopped really involving ourselves. and. I would find more satisfaction doing character development stuff with mm. Bill Schwab and doing character poses and you know ideas of how this character could move, what kind of expressions this character yeah. could have, what kind of costumes it could have. And, but then things started to, to sort of die down. I know there's a lot of reworking on the story and stuff like that, but it just doesn't feel like you have a have a place there yeah. like you used to you know where you had a character that you owned it you yeah. know and you you had a crew and you could go through and and you know really feel involved in this picture yeah. you know and now it's not the it's not like that anymore it's like there's a sort of a separation there and yeah. uh, I don't know what it is exactly you know but I know there's a lot of things I know the directors are missing when they see the CG tests, you know, because I know John Musker would always say, you know, we're 2D guys and we're not seeing this or we're not seeing that, you know. And uh, I think at one point I even offered to do a class on just what it is I think John's missing. Mm. But that hasn't happened and I don't know if it will. 
can you sum it up what you feel is missing in CG animation? Mm -hmm. Can you sum up what you feel is missing from CG animation? I've tried, <laughs> but and I've that's why I've done drawovers saying, yeah. you know, why don't we do yeah. it this way, open this up, do this, blah yeah. blah blah and, but they don't they don't like it. You know, I I know what it is. I know it's that they're young they're young people. They're trying to make their mark. They're trying to prove themselves. Um, but not listening to people who've already proved themselves seems strange to me. Well, I think this—it's like it's their time, mm. you know. They—they want to. They've got the idea. It's like when Don Bluth and those guys came in. It was the same thing, yeah. you know. We know what we want to do. We know how it should look, you know. You guys go away. You go go and retire. Go, go fish, you know something, yeah. you know, and you know we'll. We know what we're doing, but they never really did. Yeah. <clears throat> there was so much that was missing in the in the animation that came out of that new group back yeah. then. That um, and it was sort of their downfall. They never quite made it. Yeah. You know, all other group wound up coming in, and yeah. and because when they left and they started their place, you know, outside of maybe Secret of Nim, the films never quite were up to par, yeah. you know. That's true. And uh, so, I don't know. <laughs> well, going back to uh, CG animation and 2D animation, what do you feel makes appeal in a pose for you? Appeal in, in poses? Yeah. Oh, gosh. I guess it's just, it's communicating what the character's thinking, mm. you know, without having to explain it. It's like the, the emotion that the character... Um, this feeling, mm. you can convey that in the pose and the expression, um, making things um, read faster. You know, they complicate things too much, yeah. and an audience doesn't have the time to analyze what's going on up there on the screen. Mm. It needs to, it needs to be an instant read because they've only got a, a second or two. Yeah to understand what, what's going on, be it whatever, what the character's doing, how the character's feeling, all of that stuff. It's, these simplicity, uh, they're losing, they're making things more complicated. Their things aren't simple anymore. Yeah. Simplicity is really hard. Yeah, and that's not what you want. That's not what you want. And you want something that, where, that you, you know, there's a composition in character staging and stuff that, leads an audience's eye. When you're dealing with a big screen yeah. and you want them to look over here, you got to have stuff happening that leads everybody's eye right over there instantly. Your eye can register things very quickly, you know, yeah. but if you aren't expressing it strong enough or quickly enough, you're going to lose the audience and they're going to wonder what the heck happened, you know, what what was wrong with him? You know, they aren't, they aren't going to know. And... Um, that's what you kind of. That's what's missing today. I think is is that kind of posing, you know, that kind of thinking. And um, there's just too much. I don't know. I could be wrong here, but I think there's just too much attention to the detail that's going on in the character, the lighting, the texture. Uh, that they're losing sight of of. Just the simplicity of the scene yeah. and the staging, and you know, yeah, people can register things a lot faster. It used to be there was a, an animator in the business that would hold the first drawing of, of a scene on a cut for eight frames. 
because it took it took the audience that long to register the cut. Yeah. Well, you can't do that anymore. You know, when MTV came out, I mean, that was like that that developed people's kids, especially young people's brains. Like yeah. to, I went to a friend's house one time, and and he had his son was there with his two daughters, and we're all talking in the living room. I'm sitting at a point in the living room where I could see his girls watching TV. Yeah. And they're just laying on the floor with the remote. <laughs> and I'm just watching, they're hitting this remote and the, the, and the stuff is just changing so fast. And I said, how can they tell what they're, what they're skipping by? So you'd be surprised how fast they can register yeah. things since MTV came out. <laughs> it's like, you know, that's kind of honed their, their mental registration yeah. of things, you know. So yes, you can, but there's still a simplicity in the character staging, and uh, the part some that's missing to me is entertainment in in the characters' poses. Mm. You know, there's that's why I'm a big fan of movies from the '40s and some sometimes the '30s. Mm. Because there was a carryover from silent days, silent acting, that carried over into that, those other two eras, and that's what I find fun when you watch these actors is that the broadness of their expressions, yeah, the broadness the of their reactions to things, the broadness of their poses that they yeah. take. Um, that's the entertainment to me, yeah. you know, and. Now it's just basically talking heads, and you know, and it's like, uh, no, there's, there's something more that you could do with that, you know, because people go to kind of forget, go to movies yeah. to forget, um, and to be entertained. They don't want to think, really, you know, so you don't want to make them think. You know? <laughs> just let them let ex over-explain things to yeah. them, you know, and then, then they're fine, you know, but you got to entertain them with what the characters are doing, how they're doing it, how they're saying something, you know, how they react to something. That's why I enjoy it. My, my favorite comedian of all time was Red Skelton, and he had a TV show on in the 60s, and there's some DVDs out there with his shows, and but he started off every show with a pantomime routine, and it was just classic stuff. Yeah. You know, and he was... He was a brilliant mind he really was you know and that's like the best part of his whole show <laughs> was just that you yeah. know and that's what's missing these days is pantomime you know yeah. everybody's relying on the dialogue and stuff like that mm. and and uh, maybe action stuff but they're not they're not giving the acting parts of it as, as much attention yeah. you know and uh you don't have to have as much dialogue, you know. They say if you look at a, a well-done, well-crafted movie, you could watch it without sound and know pretty much what's going on, mm. you know. And you can't do that today. <laughs> it doesn't work yeah. today, you know. And television's kind of ruined that, I think, for people. And, uh, I don't know, those are just some personal opinions of mine, you know, I mean, I could be totally off off base with it, you know, and I could be, you know, I, I'm also judging things on this movie at, Mo, at Moana from early stuff that's being done, and, and you can't do that either, you know, they're in the experimental stage, you yeah. know, right now, and 
so you can't really judge it right now. Mm. But you can have, you can look at something thinking, when we rough something out on paper, my gosh, we're trying to think of every possible thing about it. Mostly because we can put it down quickly. Mm. Whereas CG, you got, sometimes if they have the controls to manipulate something, they'll use them. But if they don't, because it's early renditions of things, they're kind of limited themselves. But but then I'm finding out that there's certain aspects of 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 a scene that they can't animate, that it goes to another department to animate. And I'm thinking, how do you sell your idea yeah. if you can't lay it all out? I know. That doesn't make sense to me, <laughs> you know, but... I've seen Jamal Bradley done some for uh, Tangled. He drew the hair and how he wanted to, yeah. you know, he wanted hair to... Exactly, yeah. That's the other thing is that, you know, they there's some things that they can't do yet, you mm. know, like hair. Yeah. And that sometimes is what sells the scene, yeah. you know, and or or a piece of fabric on them, or either, yeah. you know, a grass skirt on them, you know, that you know you're trying to set a mood sometimes with certain things, yeah. and if you can't do it, you know, and that's got to frustrate John and Ron a little bit because it's like they're they're used to seeing ideas on paper mm. right off the bat, you know. You may not have all the eye blinks and all the dialogue, but you've got the main body language yeah. working for you, you know. And uh, I, don't know. I don't know. I don't think I could do CG animation. <laughs> I don't want to do it, for one thing, but I don't think I could do it right now. It's just yeah. it's too competitive, mm. you know. And there's too many well-trained um, people out there that are coming out of gaming Kids and things so like that that... I couldn't keep up with yeah. those guys, and I don't want to work that hard anymore, for one thing, you know, and yeah. and uh, so I just hope that, you know, maybe there's more room for 2D investigation into things, you know. Mm-hmm. Sergio um, Pablos is still doing it. Mm-hmm. Sergio Pablos with yeah. Claws. Yeah. And, That's um, amazing. You know, I kind of hope it, it comes back to life. Right now it's... Yeah. You know, I haven't even seen any shorts coming out of the place, mm-hmm. you know, either. You know, we were doing quite a few there mm-hmm. for a while, mm-hmm. you know, and then all of a sudden that kind of just stopped, Yeah. you know. And, it's really uh, sad. Yeah. So I don't know what the thinking is going on there. I really don't. So, I don't know. <laughs> well, I wanted to ask you about, you were talking about how the character does things and performance and I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about breakdowns and I know there's no such thing as perfect breakdown there's so many mm-hmm. different ways of doing it but how do you go about thinking about your breakdown to making it the most perfect it can be for the performance even when you're animating something uh, sometimes it's up to an animator to put in pretty much everything or at least indicate where you want certain things to happen you can't have a breakdown artist in fact I don't have anything think the category exists anymore <laughs> but back in the day when you had small units that actually had the animator breakdown artist and in-betweener wow. they all worked together year after year you know that was when you could hone your skills doing something like that but now it's farmed out you know you yeah. get stuff done they package <clears throat> it up they send it to Canada they send it to wherever Florida you know whatever then you find out that it's 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 uh 
single moms out there that need a job mm. that they're splitting a scene up in three or four different ways and handing them to three or four different people. Yeah. So you kind of have to think through your scenes verbatim, mm. you know, because it's not going to get better <laughs> out there. It really won't. Yeah. And, and a lot of the times, if there are fixes that need to be done, it doesn't go back to the people that made the mistake to learn from the mistake. It goes to the head of that little offshoot studio mm. who fixes those things. And that's yeah. not right either, yeah. you know, but I know it's efficient, you know. But um, plus these people are scattered everywhere. Mm. You can't have the guy looking over somebody's shoulder mm. saying, no, no, you should have done it this way, you know. so. I don't know, I, you know, I, to do a Disney picture like that kind of rubs you wrong because <laughs> it's not how it should be done. Yeah. But with time and money and, you know, schedules and stuff like that, sometimes you don't have much choice, yeah. you know. Plus you can't, I don't know why, I don't know why they just don't build up, if they're going to farm it out someplace, build up your staff inside, but then you're having to pay people more. So it, there's always some one reason or another. But <laughs> a good breakdown artist has to know animation. That's why I used to work for a cleanup gentleman over here by the name of Dale Oliver. And he was one of these guys. We also had another gentleman by the name of Walt Stanchfield. They both knew animation, but mm. they didn't want to animate. They would rather take animation that needs to be pushed and do that you right. know and make the scenes that are getting animated by somebody else they come off better. looking as good as they can look mm. and uh, but they knew animation and sometimes like Ollie Johnson would leave leave a, a dress or a veil or a tail or something like that for Dale Oliver to do because he would sit there and he would make sure that was going to work you yeah. know and you know, you look at the drawings that Dale Oliver would roll, I mean, there was nothing left of it on the side, you know, where he's rolling the drawings, making sure all this stuff is working. And, um, uh, but a lot of times, you know, I have to go in myself and I have to do partials, because, mm. and sometimes once you animate something and you've thought it out, you got to go through it straight ahead because you're realizing that your arcs aren't going to work or mm. stuff is piling up too much in one area and popping over here to mm. another so you, sometimes you have to go back in and flesh it out yeah. yourself but then you're having to indicate where you want a hand to be or a, a nose to be on a, on a breakdown mm. so you have to go in and do partials you know yeah. you don't leave very much for people to do, to do. anymore you know you yeah. have to kind of Eric Goldberg's one guy, he'll in between the whole darn thing himself. I mean, yeah. I don't think there's much for a cleanup person to do on Eric's stuff because, I mean, he's very tight on yeah. top of it. Everything is there. And I his drawings are clean. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think they're just going through and, like, taking out little tiny, you know, specks or yeah. something. I don't know what they're doing, but they're, <laughs> they're doing something. But he doesn't leave much for, for anybody else. Mm -hmm. but, uh, uh, no, so much of the... the standard way of doing things is gone yeah it's gone and when you're doing cg there is no there is none of that you know you're you're letting the, com the computers in between stuff for you anyway you know unless you're changing yeah you put it in yourself hopefully but the simpler stuff you let the computer mm, yeah. do it you know yeah. but the more complicated stuff you're putting in yourself so there's really you're not leaving anything for anybody, anybody i mean else. it's impossible to do that anyway yeah. you know I, I don't know how it would work if you if you could, you know, I don't know how that would work, but...
but uh, mm. so what makes yeah. a great performance for you oh gosh sometimes you gotta just um, you gotta find out what they're they're trying to get across in the story mm. um, sometimes I think it's just like with me it was growing up with 30s and 40s movies yeah. and seeing what people put into a performance you know and a lot of people would consider that um, overacting maybe yeah. today but to me it was perfect yeah. acting yeah. Uh, it's like watching a, a mime it's like uh, we got sent to see Marcel Marceau one time when I first started here and we had the cheap seats. We were way up in the nosebleed section of the theater, and and Marcel Marceau was like, like not even an inch high on the stage, but you could see everything yeah. he did. You could even see his exchange in his expression because of the way he had his face made up with white and, and dark areas mm. around his mouth. And you kind of start realizing that that's what makes for a good performance mm. is, is the body language and something. In fact, if you look at old Disney movies like Alice in Wonderland or Peter Pan, sometimes the dialogue doesn't really work. Yeah. But it's all in the body. Mm. It's all in the way that the, they hold themselves, you know. And and so that's it. Plus you listen to the voice. If you get a good voice actor during the dialogue, they tell you I mean, it's it's obvious what that character should be doing. Plus, if you have a chance to go on the soundstage and watch them do their dialogue, that's about all you need there, too. <laughs> it's like watching Eartha Kitt, you know, for Yzma. Yeah. It's watching uh, Craig Ferguson for Owl. It's like watching Randy Quaid for Slim. These people put their heart and soul mm. into that performance, you know. It wasn't like they were just going to, oh, i got to go in and do a simple read. I'll be out of here in a few minutes, you know, kind of thing. They... Yeah. Craig Ferguson went in and he would read the dialogue verbatim but then he would improvise he would find out a funnier way to say it yeah. and that's about pretty much I think maybe 95% of the dialogue <laughs> in Winnie Pooh was his improv oh. you know Thanks. and my gosh I mean and you watch him and I mean it's all in his body it's all in his mm -hmm. face you know and you just take it and you run with it, you know. And it's like when I was doing the Frog Hunters in Princess and the Frog, I was told that this is your Tex Avery moment. This yeah. is the time to go broad as you can be. And this is, it was very unlike Disney animation, you know, outside of maybe Ward Kimball. Mm. But it was like, you know, you do something and you think, I think I'm going to take this a little bit further. I'm going to really make this hurt, this hit hurt, you know, yeah. or whatever. And and so the whole joke was after dailies, after they look at stuff I threw in there, they'd say I gave them their daily dose of violence that morning, <laughs> you know. And it was made it worthwhile because it was like something where you just pushed yourself, you yeah. know. But it wasn't like pushing yourself and stressing about it. You're you're having fun with it. Yeah. You just see, okay, how far? Maybe I could push this even more. And, and uh, I don't know, but you—it was all in their dialogue too, you know. But it was all in the business. The fun comes out on the you screen. You get a good story man that puts that business in the sketches, mm. like Bill Pete, who was one, I thought one of the best storymen this studio ever had. It's like he—he he wasn't an animator, but it's like he knew animation. Mm. 
and he would get attitudes in the characters that just sold the whole shot and it was just a nice springboard for the animators they would just take it and refine it yeah. and maybe push it just a little bit more and but he gave them a nice start yeah. to the thing and I don't know I think it's just in wanting to make something more physical you know um, physically entertaining mm. I don't like I can't do subtle stuff for one thing I my drawings get really tight if I have to do something that's where a character's barely moving I'm I'm screwing things up right and left <laughs> yeah. I can't I can't draw that tight it's got to move from one side of the frame to the other side of the frame yeah. to make sense to me yeah. you know and and uh, but that's I don't know you kind of have to to take in every aspect of it you know from mm. the story sketches to, you know, sometimes I think a good layout artist will will encompass or give you props to play with. It'll give you an environment to play with that mm. inspires you there too. Yeah. Don Griffith, who used to be a layout man here years ago, was I thought he was ideal for that. He gave you the most beautiful little environment to animate, and you. It just inspired you to look at this background, and so now all of a sudden now you're thinking you got a stage to work with. You got this whole stage, you know. And I think theater, going to theater too, is a, is a good idea for people because, you know, you're not not everybody's going to be in the front row where they can watch the faces of these actors and actresses. You know, they're they're sitting way in the back, and so it's all in the body, yeah, and all in their delivery too, you know. That's the other thing too, is if you don't get a good voice person that gives you a nice strong delivery, you're gonna be lost. Yeah. You're gonna be you're gonna to be totally lost. Unless you really like doing subtle stuff, you know. I don't know. There, there's so many little facets of it that you kinda of have to take into consideration and to get inspired by, you know, and sometimes just the character's design tells you where you can go with yeah. this thing you know yeah. and uh, it's like when Bruce Smith did Facilier in, in Princess and the Frog he was scary he was scary you know and he did just a phenomenal job and yet it was very controlled mm. but I don't know but Bruce is very good at that very subtle controlled stuff but but he, when he can move, when he needs to move a character, he can move a character, you know, and make it dynamic, you know, and not slapstick by any means, yeah. you know. Um, so I don't know. There's so many different, different things to take into consideration when you're doing it. You yeah. Know? It's, hard, it's hard to put a, say, if you do this, this, and this, then you're you're okay, yeah. you know. Well, I figure if I ask people these certain questions, then everybody gives you a different answer. You put them all together. Yeah. Maybe you get something that's, yeah. you know. Well, that's what makes, that's why looking at early Disney films before they would go, nowadays, or at least when they were doing CG in the later years here, they they would have one unit that would handle one character. Mm. And it may have five animators on that one character, but that character became so controlled, you couldn't tell who did what. Yeah. But in the early days, you could tell a John Lounsbury scene to yeah. a Ward Kimball scene to a Frank Thomas scene you could tell mm. and that's what to me made it more, even more entertaining mm. because it was like watching this potpourri of <laughs> talent yeah. you know 
especially even if they were animating the same character, mm -hmm. it was so much fun to see how one interpreted that character from one section of the sequence to the other, yeah. you know, and there's nothing wrong with it, you know. Mm. Uh, when we were doing this Winnie the Pooh and Tigger 2 back in the 70s, uh, it was a downtime project, and Wooly decided, you know, let's test our assistants to see who maybe has some of the, the chops for animating. And so they would hand out basically the f same scene to five different guys. Mm. They could be good animators and they could be cleanup people yeah. but they would hand it out and they would see in dailies they would look at them and they would pick the best one mm -hmm. and somebody under Wooly said aren't you afraid that people are going to notice like this guy's Winnie the Pooh to this guy's Winnie the Pooh and he says no you paint him orange and put him in a red shirt <laughs> nobody's going to know the difference and it's true yeah. I mean people aren't yeah. they're watching a film and as long as the continuity takes you smoothly from one mm -hmm. scene to the next mm -hmm and through the story, you don't care, you're not, they're not gonna notice that, oh, that guy drew the Winnie the Pooh's eyes oddly, but then you get a good cleanup people in there and that kind of pull things together mm. just a little bit and then you're fine. Yeah. But. I think it adds to the charm. It yeah. does, it, it adds mm. totally the, to the charm of it all, mm. you know, and that's what was always so much fun mm. when you watch this stuff. Dari was telling me about your story about your time at on Peanuts and how yeah. you felt like you were going to starve to death because oh, yeah. you couldn't you're paid yeah. per drawing and you couldn't handle the emotion. Well, they would the give face. you they would hand out a scene, you know, and they it would be like a thirty foot scene, and at the top they would give you of like four and a half foot credit. <laughs> so you had to figure out how to put four and a half feet of animation into this thirty foot scene, <laughs> and that's just like. It's just reusing little head bobs and, oh, okay. and dialogue and mm. eye blinks and it would drive me nuts because you know you're listening to the dialogue and you thought oh it'd be funny if he did this so you try that the next thing you know you're actually filling up a 30 <laughs> foot scene with 30 feet of animation yeah. and they're only paying you for four and a half feet yeah and they wouldn't let you put it on ones no it was too smooth I guess yeah so yeah. I couldn't do that either yeah, yeah. no it was like I was making like I don't know, three hundred dollars a week, you know, when I should have been making like thousands. But, you know, I, I couldn't. I couldn't. I didn't last very long doing that. But I, I loved working with him. Mm. Though I loved working with Bill Melendez. He was a, he was a sweetheart of a guy, and he had the greatest little studio. It was a little house on Larchmont, you know, yeah. Paramount Pictures, and it was like, it was like a dream. It's like going to Jay Ward. I went to Jay Ward when I was 16 on a little tour. Mm. And what was neat about it was it was a rainy, rainy day, very dark and gloomy. You get there, you get invited in, and it's the warmest environment there. People are over sweet. You can smell coffee cooking. Yeah. It was just these nice little antique desk lamps on people's desks. You know, nobody animated there, but they were right there. They would do yeah. storyboards there. But... Uh, it was like this little tiny house off of Sunset Boulevard, which is now a dog grooming place, but they kept the house. Yeah. But you went down some little stairs, and they had their little Grauman Chinese-esque, you know, footprints or handprints and signatures and cement yeah. out in front. Then they had the big giant Bullwinkle holding Rocky yeah. revolve. But that studio, like, stayed with me. Yeah. You know, that was the kind of studio you want. You want something that feels homey, welcoming, and you can't wait to go to work. And, yeah. And uh, 
we don't find that many places. So, <laughs> it's like, so the picture becomes what brings you to work every day, yeah. you know, and the people, you know, in some cases. So. Mm. <clears throat> I was talking with some friends yesterday, and your name came up as somebody who managed to keep stay positive throughout your whole career. <laughs> try, uh, you know, if you if you see me outside of the place at home, I mean, I can get pretty cranky, <laughs> but uh, I try, I mean, it's like when we had to go all switch to CG, it's like, well, what are you going to do? Yeah. I mean, I don't know anything else, this is all I know, and there was not many other places out there that you can go back to do a traditional, so yeah. you just, you take it, you know, but then I met people like um, Mike Belzer, who was a good friend of mine, who was a CG animator, and he actually did stop motion animation for, for uh, Nightmare Before Christmas, and, mm -hmm. but he was he was a guy that wanted to work with you. He wasn't yeah. afraid of you. He wasn't anything like that. In fact, he was he and Eamon Butler, who was another animation head in mm -hmm. CG, were both excited that us two D guys were going to get involved in CG because we were going to we think differently, yeah. you know. And I don't know what we put into it because we were struggling just trying to figure out the computers, oh, if we succeeded or not. But but in a way, I think they do. I mean, I know on Wilbur, I, I tried to push him as much as I could on Robinson's. And, yeah. And I had a good time, you know. But, you know, the computer kind of overwhelms me sometimes. I can't... I can't figure it out half the yeah. time. I always had three people in there trying to figure out what did I break this time, you know. And, but I managed, you know, but it was nice to go back to traditional mm -hmm. animation. It's just your comfort zone, you know. And, but, you know, we want to help. I mean, we don't mind working on a CG film. If we can contribute something, we can do a motion test and somebody can capture that in a CG character. Yeah. That's, that's fantastic yeah. to me. You know, why not? And it's great for us to see that, yeah. you know, 2D is still involved and yeah. still got a place. Nobody right. wants it to go. No, nobody wants it to go, you know, but, you know, it's a... But, you know, it's funny because after we did Winnie the Pooh, this last one, they had a screening at the El Capitan at mm. 7 o'clock in the morning. And it was for D23 people. And they all showed up. They were out in front of the theater probably at six, yeah. 5.30 or 6 o'clock that spot. morning on a Saturday. And the lead animators, myself, Bruce Smith, Eric Goldberg, Mark Hen, and Randy Haycock were up on stage. And each one of us was supposed to talk for five minutes. And uh, most of the guys had little presentations up on the screen. I didn't have anything. And... Then we were supposed to draw our character, our mm -hmm. little down shooter. And so, fortunately, I was like f fifth one in line. So I got to see everybody else do it, see how nervous they were. <laughs> you're staring out in the audience, and there's yeah. over 400 people out there. And, and finally, it was my turn. And of course, I had to take the long walk down the stage, you know, <laughs> and I started to talk. And I said, you know, I really, I don't, I apologize for not having a presentation because my character was sort of here and there and stuff yeah. like that and and most everybody else's stuff was up on the screen longer than mine was mm. so so I just started to talk about the old days when I started here and why I wanted to do Owl because my mentor did Owl and early one of the yeah. pools and talked about the history of the place and stuff like that and then I got to the point where I realized I'd forgotten to draw so I had to quickly draw Owl and then I sat down and when we went down to the basement to 
to do book signing or poster signings, the only thing that anybody, everyone could would tell me was how wonderful it was to hear about the old days, because it's what they read about, and, yeah. it's, and it's the history that developed the movies that they grew up with and fell yeah. in love with, you know, and, and they said, we don't feel that way about CG movies, mm -hmm. there's nothing... Sure. You wonder when you wonder what people would, an animator would go to talk about because they've got a character that's designed by another yeah. guy who's animated by twenty other guys that basically looks the same. There's yeah. no there's no difference in mm. in a yeah, look that's true. or uh, yeah, and they can't sketch it. You know, yeah. we, could, we <laughs> can sit and do a quick sketch of something. You know, and yeah. that, which is what intrigues people too. You know, they. You know, just to be able to sit and draw something is what fascinates people. Yeah. You know, and I don't know. That's why down the road I want to go and do speaking tours and stuff mm. like that and talk about the history of this place, which is yeah. what still stays with people. Yeah. You know, and uh, talking about films that still stay with people. Even if I didn't work on it, be it Cinderella or Sleeping Beauty or Peter Pan, I mean, it's still. Those are films that stay with people. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And, uh, but I knew the people that did them, and that's what's so exciting. And yeah, you learn from them. Yeah, and so there's a connection there that you know, might be very brief, but there's a connection there. You know, mm. So. Oh. <laughs> well, I know you have to go to lunch, as I do too. The Lansbury's are coming out. Mm -hmm. The Lansbury's are coming? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I should Sometime. finish up and let you know. go. I don't even know what time it is. What time it's is it? It's 20 past 11. I'm assuming oh. we're coming at 12, really. <laughs> I'm assuming. Boy, we talked a long time. <laughs> but it was really lovely. I just want to ask you one more question, uh -huh. and that is, what is the greatest piece of advice anybody ever gave you, and who is it from? Oh, my gosh. Um, honestly, I don't know how to answer that question. Um... I honestly don't know how to answer that question. <laughs> Do you remember one of the biggest things you learned, like on Roger Rabbit? That's a big. Um. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I never thought of that. You know, mm. I would take it advice, but it would be advice on on a scene. You know, I mean, it would yeah. be. You know, everybody struggles with something, you know, especially younger people. They struggle with something. And Hal King one time told me, you know, I brought in a scene, a scene in and he was looking at it that I had on a pencil test. And he says, you know what, there's a thousand ways we could do this scene, but let's take yours and let's make it work. And which made me feel good because it was like I didn't totally screw up, you yeah. know, but he was going to show me how I could punch it here and there. And... But he had that kind of outlook on things. It yeah. wasn't like carved in stone someplace, you know. Mm. Uh, like Frank and Ollie and Milt would probably insist it look a certain way because yeah. that's what's in their head. But, but Hal King and Lounsbury and even Eric Larson would, would look at what you did and just show you how you could plus it, mm. you know, and not, not throw it out and say, no, you should have done it this way, but just... I mean, Eric was really good at it. I mean, Eric never really spoke very much. Eric Larson he never spoke very much, but he had, 
he would, you know, have you put your scene up on the movie and he then he'd get up and he'd run it and he'd run it a few times and then then he'd all of a sudden flip it in reverse and back up to something and then he'd go forward and then he'd step through it slowly back and forth and then he'd there used to be pegs on the other things so he'd mm. put a piece of animation paper on there for rotoscoping and stuff and, and then he would lift the paper and he would look at the scene again and he'd let the paper down and he'd sharpen a pencil and he'd <laughs> kind of draw where your head is or your hand is or whatever, whatever was bothering him and then he would flip a couple of frames ahead and he would put the next one down and he would move it back a couple more frames ahead of that and he put that down. And then all of a sudden you see you see where you screwed up. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't have to say a word, you just saw it. It was right there. <laughs> and uh, he was pretty amazing about it, you know. And, uh, I don't know, I just, I, I kind of, I, I didn't take away animation advice mm. basically from them. I wasn't there long enough to really understand their 50 plus years yeah. times six, you know, <laughs> um, um, you know, their 300 odd years of, of experience. Um, but you learned, you took away how, how to treat younger people, how to treat people that are struggling yeah. and, not, and not make them feel like they're failing miserably at something, you know, but you just kind of try to encourage them, you know. I've had too many people there told me that, you know, you're never going to make it here. You might as well get out of here now while you have the chance, you know. And um, uh, just not to listen to people like that, you know, but just, you know, stand, stand by what you're really wanting to do, you know. That's encouraging to hear because a lot of yeah. people get told they're never going to make it. My my fiance and I we were listening to well, we listen to the stuff like The Secret and we're listening to The Power and they tell you don't let people tell you you're not gonna make it or don't let people tell you you're not good enough mm. or you're not as good as so and so. Mm. You know none of us are ever gonna be like that person over there or that person over there, you know, or we're individuals and it depends on what we wanna put into it and if it's something that we may eventually find out it's not really what we want to do, mm. you know, and we'll just, we'll, you know, move into something else, you know, depends on what you put out there in the universe, you know, and, yeah. and, uh, and uh, as long as you put it out there and you think positively about it, it's going to happen, you know, if you think you're going to be successful success in animation, you will, you will, you will. <laughs> might take you a little bit of time, might struggle with it a little bit, but there's so many different facets of animation too that yeah. it doesn't mean you have to do Disney animation or DreamWorks animation. You can do UPA style mm -hmm. of animation or Ward Kimball-esque type animation. Yeah. You don't have to do what everybody else is wanting to do, mm -hmm. you know. There's so many different things. There's so many educational things out there. I mean, my gosh, when we were kids growing up, you had Sesame Street, mm -hmm. you, had, you had all these little, uh, the ones that we're talking about, you know, you know, I'm a bill, you know, going into Congress or whatever it was, you know, those little tiny schoolhouse rock, that's what it was. Those little tiny, very simple, simple little little pieces that taught kids stuff. Yeah. You know? And, uh, I mean, there's so many facets, so many things you can do for different age groups, you know. The simpler you are for younger age groups, you know, you, know, you could do something like that, yeah. you know. 
there's just so many facets that it's, if you want to do it bad enough, you'll, you'll do it. Yeah. You know? I did. <laughs> I did. And I wasn't, I wasn't that great when I got in here, but, yeah. you know, you push yourself and you work hard at it and you learn and you keep trying and you never know what's going to happen. Yeah. But, uh, you're always pleasantly surprised. Yeah. You know? And you're presently surprised if you have one idea of what you want to do, but then something else better comes along mm. that you never thought about, and you, you grab it. You know? yeah. and one thing I, I keep it. telling people is don't ever say no to anything. Mm. You know, uh, if some opportunity comes up, say yes to it, because you, know? you don't know where it's going to take you yeah. either. You know, it's going to. It may lead you down a path you never thought existed out there. Yeah. And, And that's, that's true. I didn't think I was going to... I didn't know Roger Rabbit was going to come along. I didn't know getting a commercial studio was going to come along. I didn't know I was going to even come back here, yeah. honestly. I, that was not even on my mind. You know, but it happened, and it happened for the better. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a pleasure to talk to you. I'm really grateful that you took the time out. Oh, it's my pleasure. My goodness. Any old time. <laughs> Thank There's you. something on there you don't like, and you want me to re-say it, I will. <laughs> You're right. very good. Maybe yeah. we can meet up another time and right. set some more. Okay. That'd be great. Sounds good <laughs> to me. <laughs>